pop culture and interviews, the best and worst of movies and reviews, the old, the new, the in-between, the movies mirror reality, so we'll talk, have fun, we'll listen and explore, you are the curious, we are the curious audience. Welcome back to The Curious Audience. I'm Luke Ryan, and yes, we are back, bringing you content every week and occasionally two times a week. This week, I'm really excited to share my chat with orchestra performer, educator, and award-winning composer Cameron Patrick. You would be familiar with Cameron's work, I guarantee it. He's been part of some of the music behind the most popular films of the past 10 years, Films such as Jurassic World, Star Trek, Rogue One, The Incredibles, and Spider-Man Homecoming. Cameron also composed the music for several of the classic Looney Tunes cartoons, including Chariots of Fire featuring Roadrunner and Wild E. Coyote, Peter and the Wolf, and the popular Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries. I shared a short snippet of these on our Instagram. Before we get to the interview, I want to just tell you a very brief story. Um, I had contacted Cameron Patrick, it feels like a year ago now. It was actually a year ago. Um, We were lined up to have this chat probably July of 2019. And on that exact day, two hours before we were supposed to have this chat, I found out my son was diagnosed with cancer. I, of course, contacted Cameron as soon as I could, I didn't want to leave him hanging. And he was, you know, completely understanding as any person would. And to be honest, I didn't think I would ever hear from him again. I thought it was a a missed opportunity. And, you know, I had other things on my mind at that point. But I guess the reason I'm telling you this short story is just to be so grateful for the kindness of people. That's the one thing this podcast has shown me is how kind people are with their time and just in general because um, I reached out to Cameron once things had settled down with my son and um, just wanted to apologize again and just to see whether maybe we could chat again. And he was so kind and so gracious and um, we've been able to organize this chat and this is the chat I share with you today. Um, This wonderful man who has had an amazing career. Like, it's you can't even imagine some of the things that he has worked with. And as a fan of so many of these films, to be a fly on the wall experiencing what he's experienced just would be so enjoyable. But just hearing him talk about it was, was a, a real pleasure. So, I really hope you enjoy it. And let's jump right in. Introducing composer... Cameron Patrick. Cameron, thank you for coming on the podcast and chatting with us today. Luke, you're so welcome. I'm glad we were able to to sort it out. And it's an absolute pleasure for me to be here today. So, Cameron, you've worn many hats in your musical career. You've been a musician, an orchestra member. You've been a composer. 
which one is the most enjoyable and which one's the most challenging? Oh boy, that's a loaded question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, it has been a lot of hats. Um, and now we have to add educated to that because that's the path I'm on at the moment. And um, it's, uh, well, gosh, they've been all equally challenging and equally fulfilling and satisfying at the same time. Um, you know, there are different uh, challenges involved with each one. Um, you know, I started off as a performer. I, I did my studies as a, as a violinist um, and went to uni and did a performance degree. And, and my love of composition and arranging sort of started from that because we had a, of all things, um, my brother and sister are also musicians and we had a family string quartet and we used to oh, wow. gig you know as doing weddings and parties and stuff and back in the dark ages when i was in my teens uh, <laughs> it was uh there wasn't a huge amount of film music around arranged for string quartet um or popular music um it's a huge you know it, burgeoning industry now of course worldwide um but um at that point we'd get asked to perform certain you know, everyone would be like, people would be like, oh, I love the song from blah, blah, blah. Could you play that at our wedding? And um, you couldn't get the music. So I would, I started arranging stuff, string quartet. And I really developed a, a love of arranging and, um, and composition sort of evolved from that. And um, so when I moved to the States after I graduated, graduated from UQ and I worked in the Queensland Symphony for a couple of years, um, I went to LA and studied film scoring at, at USC at their film scoring program, which once again, at that time, it was one of the only programs, if not the only program worldwide that offered uh, study in, you know, in film scoring. Uh, now there's a whole bunch of courses all yeah. over the planet. Yeah. They're, they're all over the place, which is great. Um, but um, so, yeah, then, then my, sort of career, well, career at that point, I was a student, but my love of composing and sort of life investment into that particular aspect of, of you know, as opposed to being a performer at that point, I was I went into the, the composing realm and, and, you know, concentrated on that for a few years. And then uh, I was lucky to start orchestrating for a classmate of mine who was at USC, Carl Johnson, and he started working for Disney and Warner Brothers in the animated TV um, for, uh, productions. It, it was Saturday morning cartoons and afternoon cartoons. And, um, and then I developed my love of orchestration from, and during that period and sort of concentrated on that. And, um, and then once I got out into the workforce a bit, it was, you know, whichever particular hat paid the bills, you know, I, yeah. I, I would do whatever it took and, and was lucky to have, excuse the pun, but that many strings to my bow, I suppose. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, there's, you know, the challenges of being a performer, particularly a studio performer, are many in terms of keeping up your professional playing ability. You've got to practice and, and you've got to be a super good sight reader. 
um, you know, because you don't get time to prepare the music. Um, they do occasionally send the parts out these days. Um, but so that's a challenge. Um, and, you know, they're called studio playing probably rightly so 95% sheer boredom and, and 5% sheer terror yep. because, you know, you've got suddenly the hardest thing ever written for a human being on the music stand in front of you. And, um, you know, you've got to perform and do it well. Um, so yeah, the, the, those would be the challenges of, of being a studio musician orchestrating um, well, composing, I suppose, um, there's a number of challenges there. You've got to be a good collaborator and a good communicator because you're working with someone else and working towards their creative vision and talking about a director, of course, or a producer. Um, so you have to be able to work fast and um, you have, like I said, uh, you have to be able to think fast in terms of planning your, your music. Um, so that would be the challenges there. Um, as an orchestrator, once again, you have to be able to work really fast because at that point you're even further down the production line than the composer and usually it's the night before a session and, and you've got X minutes of music or X hundred bars of music to get on the music stands for the players the next morning. So there's a lot of caffeine involved and, and uh, <laughs> yep. a lot of, and no time, well, very little time for self-doubt, even though we all have self-doubt, a million sort of questions that you have to answer successfully between, you know, 11 p.m. and 5 a.m. on your own. So you do need to build up a lot of layers of experience and, and trust in yourself and, and in your knowledge um, as a musician and all of those different hats that I wore sort of fed into each other. So I was very lucky to have um, all of that background because it sort of gave me a very sort of rounded view of, of music and music making. And um, now as an educator, I can put all three of those into what I teach my students. So, um, you know, it's been an interesting evolutionary path. Let's put it that way. And you mentioned then that you um, play the violin. What mm -hmm. led you to play that instrument out of all the others? Oh, gosh, it was, I was a relatively late starter. I was 10 when I took up the violin. Um, and it was just, you know, it was my mum and dad inspired my love of music and my brother and sisters as well because, like I said, all three of us were musicians um, and, and moved actually into the, professional musicianship, I suppose is the term. Um, my dad uh, never studied music, never read music, but he, uh, it was and is a, a huge lover of big band music and had the greatest collection of Glenn Miller and Artie Shaw, Tommy Dorsey, all the great, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, yeah. big, big band um, leaders um, and we developed a love of that from dad's appreciation of that. And then mum, likewise, never read musical studied music, but she had been a dancer and she loved classical music. And, and she was always playing terrific 
records, you know, that we'd listen to records, you know, vinyl. Yep. It was all we had. That's the best um, way to listen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we got a lot of our early music education from listening, you know, through mum and dad's interests and their, their love of music. So I would, I would put my love of music fairly, uh, squarely on the shoulders of my parents. That's where it came from for sure. And violin, um, you know, I couldn't tell you what, <laughs> what what process went on in my little head when I decided it was time. Well, uh, at the school I went to in Brisbane, um, the string teacher came into the class in grade five and said, you know, I'm, I'm signing up violin for students that want to learn violin. And I that's when I raised my hand and said, I'll do it. Um, and that lady, uh, Elizabeth Morgan, um, was a huge, I, I studied with her from the time I picked up the instrument all the way through uni. I, I followed her to the University of Queensland and studied with her there. She's still one of my dearest friends, a great mentor in my life, you know, and huge influence musically on, and and in terms of life lessons too. She's She's been amazing and um so I was very fortunate to have the influence from my, my parents and support because three kids in music lessons is a huge ask after school. You know, mum would be driving us back and forth and such and such had a violin lesson this day, someone had a viola lesson, someone had a cello lesson. And then there's orchestra stuff, you know, you're in, you're in orchestras on the weekends and after school as well. So... And then to have Elizabeth Morgan be my teacher and, and be such a supportive teacher, I was, I was just incredibly lucky right across the board. It was um, meant to be that you were supposed to have that instrument. I mean, nowadays in schools, they they do various tests and things like that to test, you know, the length of the kid's fingers and they can recommend an <laughs> instrument. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I've been in, yeah, yeah. you know, grade three and four classes where they say, oh, you are tailored towards the trombone. You've got really long Seriously? arms. Wow. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. I don't know how accurate it is whether these kids go on and, and you know, because of that specific information they're able to right, right. work out. But and whether they like whether they like the trombone or not. Well, that's that's it, yeah. I mean, yeah. you were lucky your family supported a music um, love and so that's that's what yeah. promoted it. And I think that's the same for anybody. If you have that love yeah. and that appreciation, yeah. you're going to love yeah. it. And, and it, it does take a support system, um, you know, to, to do all of that and um, mm. uh, take on extracurricular stuff and... and you know, also I have the Queensland education system to thank um, and the Queensland youth orchestra system to thank because uh, all of us kids in my family, we we auditioned and got into the QIO system early. And, and it's just amazing. I, I, I stayed in QIO, went through all the orchestras up to being um, associate concertmaster of the QIO scene um, in my last year and and the experience of being around like-minded kids and and playing great music and you know i remember the the transition one of the really formative moments in my playing career was getting from like you know there are different levels of orchestra you know you've got junior string ensemble where the kids are a certain age and you've got third orchestra and the kids are usually a certain age and certain uh competency level and then the second orchestra and then there's the you know 
big first orchestra that plays all the really hard stuff. And um, I remember, I don't know whether it was between third orchestra and second orchestra, or, but uh, where the composer's name on the music changed from being arranged by blah, 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 to being just the composer's name, like, you know, Tchaikovsky or Mahler or Beethoven. And yeah. it wasn't rearranged, you know, to make it easier and more playable. And I remember thinking, wow, this is like the real thing. <laughs> Finally, we're playing the actual composer's music. And, uh, you know, I was super lucky once again um, to be able to play an Australian youth orchestra. I went to National Music Camp a couple of times, a couple of years. Um, you know, what Australia has to offer musically um, is far and above, you know, what 95% of the world has, I think. You know, I can't speak for every European country, and I know uh, some South American countries have incredible youth music programs. Um, but the US, having lived there for 30 years, I feel I am, you know, qualified to to talk about that, that, that the school systems there are woefully um, uh, underrepresented uh, in terms of the arts and music. And I, I can only assume it'll get worse now, or it has gotten worse. Yeah, um, definitely. So, so yeah, we, uh, I, I think it was just, I went through a, a terrific time and, uh, you know, lots of people, lots of incredible educators and mentors to thank for what I've done and where I've been gone. So, so you mentioned a moment ago about, um, you were working on cartoons, morning and afternoon cartoons. Um, would there be anything our listeners might have been familiar with that we might be able to um, recall some of those <laughs> compositions or that music? Um, I, um, when I was, I think I mentioned I went, yeah, I, did, I went to study at USC and it was a one-year program um, and graduated. And, and then I stayed for a couple of years um, uh, and worked with a talent agency just to pay the bills, of course, uh, that dealt with placing film composers with projects. And, and so I, I worked in administration. I wasn't, you know, writing music at that point, but I was straight out of school, but it was great to see the business side of, of the industry. And um, through that job, I was able to hook up with a composer that was on the roster um, who at that time was putting together uh, a show called Bugs Bunny on Broadway, which was playing the Looney Tunes, Mary Melody's cartoons live with symphony orchestra. And at that point, not a lot of that was being done either. Now there's so much of it around the yeah, world. Movies because and everything. Incredibly. Yeah. It's so incredibly popular. You know, you can go see the Harry Potter films or mm -hmm. Star Wars movies with, with the orchestra playing live. But at that point it was pretty unusual. And, and, and so we were putting to, uh, they were putting together, these classic Warner Brothers shorts, and and they weren't uh, in existence at the time. The the full scores and the actual instrumental parts for these score, uh, cartoon scores, okay. um, they had what are called conductor piano conductor scores, which were a, a in this essence a two line sketch of the music that was all really that had survived since, you know, the 40s and 50s and 60s at the Warner Brothers Library. Um, we were lucky to have that. You know, it, you've probably heard of the, the great disaster at MGM where they just bulldozed huge amounts of, of the 
the studios and music library holdings. Wow, um, I need not. I'm uh, gonna look that up. <laughs> oh, it's oh yeah. Look up MGM. Um, a lot of the movie musicals that MGM put out, the scores were just lost, and um, so we're lucky to at least have this resource at Warner's. But still, someone had to go in and um, uh, flesh out these piano conductor sketch scores, essentially into full orchestral scores that lists all the instruments and all the music and then make orchestral parts to give the players to play. Um, and so I was lucky that I got hired to head a team of my fellow students to transcribe uh, these cartoon scores um, just orally by mm. listening um, and filling in the gaps in these piano conductor charts. And um, that was a huge uh, educational process. And and then through that uh show when it got up and running um i was able to work with the legendary animator chuck jones oh, wow. um, and warners gave him uh a budget at the studio for six new theatrical shorts which um uh i was lucky enough to be a composer on and um that was a huge uh, an amazing part of my life it was amazing to work with chuck and um work on these uh these shorts, which, and they had great budgets. We had big orchestras and, um, you know, we, we did it all in the style of the great Carl Stalling who did the original Looney Tunes and Mary Melody's cartoons. And, um, uh, at the same time, um, my roommate, who was one of my fellow students at USC had started work. I think I mentioned, uh, he was working for Disney and also wanted television animation. Um, and I was orchestrating for him on some stuff, um, his cartoons. And um, so I was able to then move in through as an associate of his into one of the Warner's television animation shows called the Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries, which oh, yeah. Um, ran, yeah, ran for four years. It was a, it was a Saturday morning cartoon. Um, they used to run them in half hour episodes that would be broken into two 11 minute stories. Um, and we, well, we were really super lucky because in the, I don't know if you remember uh, Tiny Tunes in yep. the mid-90s. Um, when that came about, uh, Spielberg was the executive producer and he insisted that the music be in the vein of the original Carl Sawley and Milt, Milt Franklin cartoons. Um, and he hired Bruce Broughton, the incredible composer, um, to be head composer on that show. And Bruce would score, you know, what he could time-wise time because there are a lot of episodes, and then he brought on a stable of other composers. Um, that particular series was so popular, it got a bunch of spin-offs. Um, Animaniacs, yep, uh, Tweety and Sylvester Mysteries, Pinky in the Brain. Oh, yeah, it's um, very popular, that one. <laughs> Freakazoid, yeah. And, and But all under the same umbrella in terms of having live orchestra and doing the Carl Stalling Looney Tunes approach. And and so we were super lucky to, I was, you know, Tweety and Sylvester was at the tail end of that whole boom of, of Warner's television animation series. Um, and we kind of sneaked under the radar um, with four years of Tweety and Sylvester and every, every two weeks or every week or two weeks, we'd have to do a new episode. And I worked with composer Eric Schmidt, who was, 
and, and is and a, a great friend, another incredible mentor who I can't thank enough for giving me a leg up in the industry. And um, we would write all this orchestral, we'd have to do 22 minutes of orchestral music uh, every two min two weeks, I think it was pretty much at that point, sometimes every week. Um, so I got a lot of my orchestrating chops up working with and for Eric on that, as well as my composing chops. So yeah, my 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 biggest projects at that point were, were the Chuck Jones theatrical shorts that he produced and directed, and then Tweety and Sylvester Mysteries. So when it and, comes to those cartoons, you said <clears throat> 20, 22 minutes of, of orchestra music. Do you have the cartoon like pre-drawn, all done, but the music? What What does the studio yeah. give you to guide your music? Yeah, um, we have, a, well, a version of the film that could vary from being just what they call pencil tests, which is the outlines of the animation and the characters moving, but they're not coloured in mm -hmm. and the backgrounds aren't coloured in, or to, to fully finished, you know, coloured animation, which yeah. um, so we had varying degrees depending on where it was in the production. A lot of the Chuck Jones ones were still pencil tests when you scored them. Um, the timing wouldn't change. It's it's like what the characters were doing on screen as black and white drawings would still stay the same as they would once they coloured it in. It was just, you know, at that stage in the animation process. Yeah. Uh, Tweeting Sylvester was almost always finished, uh, fully coloured and rendered animation. Um, and uh, the dialogue would be in of course, because they would record that first and then animate to the dialogue so that the characters' voices and faces matched. Um, sound effects wouldn't be in at that point. Uh, so we just have the video with, and it was video back then, you know, yeah. literally on a VHS machine <laughs> with a, a jog wheel that you'd go frame by frame back and forth. Um, oh dear. Yeah, but no sound effects. So you had really had very little idea what was going to be battling your music. Um, you know, with uh, once the sound is in, uh, but that's fine. You, you, um, you know, the music has a lot of conventions in that style, and and also you understand that sound effects have a lot of conventions too. So you sort of have an understanding working on this stuff of what they're most probably going to go with sound effects wise, and when to keep out of the way, and when the music has a chance to shine, that sort of thing. And have you worked on uh, feature films? and things like that, whether as a, an orchestra member or a composer? Yeah, as an orchestra member and uh, orchestrator, yeah. the I did some music for um, the Australian feature, Tim Winton's The Turning. It was an anthology movie yeah. a, few, oh, a few few years back now, and I, I scored one of the, uh, the chapters of that. Um, but uh, most of my work on features, big features, has been as a studio musician or an orchestrator. Um, and I've been super lucky there to have worked for the great Michael Giacchino. And um, I was lucky enough to play on oh, every one of Michael's scores from the first Incredibles, I think, right through until Spider-Man... Homecoming might have been my last one before we left to come back here yeah. to uh, to Sydney, um, and that includes you know Alias the TV series and Lost the TV series because oh. they're all going on concurrently too. Um, 
so yeah, got to play on some some huge, wonderful things. Um, and you know, my studio work wasn't just Michael, but uh, certainly some of the bigger films were all Michael. So um, you know, some of the ones that were just a huge treat. You know, being a a sci-fi geek from you know early years, working on Star Trek. You know, the oh, yeah. the reboot was great. Um, uh, I played on Rogue One, so working on a Star Wars wow. film was great. You know, I never dreamed I would ever play on a Star Wars film. Um, so does that mean you're yeah. in an orchestra with John Williams at the helm? Ah, uh, well, no. In that one, Michael scored uh, Rogue One. So I, I, but I was yeah, course, I was there in yeah. the viola. And the viola section. So I, I also play viola. I, my uh, my partner is a terrific studio violist and he's here in Sydney now, um, but he was going back and forth still working in LA. Um, and he taught me into uh, playing the viola, oh gosh, maybe 15 years ago because uh, I was just a violinist till then. So, um, yeah, I love the viola just as much, if not more, than the violin. It's interesting. So, yeah, I've been lucky to to play in both the violin sections and the viola sections of, of a lot of films. Um, and, uh, yeah, some of Michael's Pixar scores were such a treat. Oh, yeah, The Incredibles in. is so iconic. You hear that yeah. intro at the beginning, you instantly know who it is. And and yeah, Spider-Man yeah. Homecoming had that iconic sound as well, the theme for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, Ratatouille and, oh, yeah. and uh, Coco, uh, yeah. in, Inside Out. You know, all terrific, terrific scores. And then, you know, his other work with the Star Trek movies, uh, gosh, the Mission Impossible movies. Oh, wow. That's quite a range. Yeah, it's a huge amount of stuff and, and always a treat. And I, I was very fortunate there to um, Michael's head orchestrator at the time, Tim Simonick, brought me on to orchestrate on a lot of Michael's stuff too. Um, so I got to orchestrate on Star Trek Into Darkness and um, uh, I did some on Spider-Man Homecoming, um, uh, Zootopia I got to do some on, um, I'm drawing a blank, but uh, Jurassic World, the first oh, yeah. Jurassic World I, I did some on. Um, so yeah, that was, that was terrific. They're the sort of the big iconic scores that I got to do some orchestrating on for, so for Michael. And for I've Tim. always wanted to ask a, a musician who works on films. Uh, on the podcast, we've been talking about films like Jurassic World and Star Trek 1, um, like the rebooted one, uh, Mr. Holland's Opus, even the new film, Will Ferrell's new film, Eurovision. They, they each have pieces of music which seem to tap into this um, – I'm not sure the technical term for it, but the spine tingling and the goosebumps and that that moment where the music has a physical reaction with the audience member. And I've always wondered whether composers or orchestra members, whether that's something they try and do on purpose. Uh, composers definitely do. Comp uh, performers try, you know, to, to make it so. Um, it's up to the composer to work hard with the director um, and find those parts of the film where you're trying to get that emotional response mm. from the audience. Um, and, you know, if the, the beautiful thing about live music and having live musicians record your music is having them 
breathe life into the composer's work and the composer's notes. And that certainly can elevate the emotional impact of, of any music, you know, to the, the level where it does give you goosebumps. Is there a, a method to how to arrange the music to, to cause those, that moment to happen? Um, no, it's a, it's a combination of gut, uh, going with your gut and experience uh, and seeing how things work. Um, yeah, it, it, it can be manufactured to a degree, but having things line up to be a magic moment is, is something you can't sort of, there's no formula for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's interesting. Well, Cameron, I want to thank you for coming on and, and sharing your experience with us today. Um, it's been really interesting to hear, how, I mean, just how lucky you've been in your musical career, but all the different paths that one can go down if they have a love of music. Yeah, so. yeah. You know, don't be afraid to explore what you love, uh, you know, in whatever field it is. Um, you know, I... Like I said, it, I had a lot of dumb luck. Um, you do also have to study hard and work hard mm-hmm. and, you know, be a good collaborator, a good employee, um, you know, and people will ask you back if you do a good job on things and you're pleasant to work with. That uh, plays a lot too. But, yeah, a lot of dumb luck. And, and, um, so th- and, and like I said, um, a handful of, of mentors that gave me a leg up when I really needed it and, are still huge parts of my life now. You know, like I mentioned, my violin teacher, Elizabeth Morgan, yeah. Eric Schmidt, who was the composer on Tweety, and Tim Simonek, who was uh, head, uh, head orchestrator on Michael's stuff for many years, um, all had faith in me and, and uh, I can never thank them enough, you know. So look up to your mentors and, <laughs> you know, thank your music teachers because, uh, you know, they do a great job and... Um, yeah, ex- don't be afraid to explore what it is you love because um, there might be a way you can find to make a living out of it. Definitely. If you yeah, can no. follow your passion, it's not really work then. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast and chatting with us. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Luke, anytime. Okay. Cheers. Cheers.